and welcome to another episode of the Mountain Ground Podcast. This is episode 11 and following on our art of fast packing, we're switching over to bike packing. And for that, we have Ian Peterkin joining us in the studio this afternoon. It will be myself, Peter and Nicolette um, chatting to him. But let's just hand over to Ian and he can kind of give us a lowdown on why does he love back bikepacking, a bit of his athletic background. But yeah, Ian, over to you. Um, hello, Pierre, Peter, Nicolette. Uh, good to see, see you all virtually again. Um, so, well, in essence, I most of the time I would describe myself as an ultra runner. Um, and if you give me half a chance, you'll find me on the trails, in a mountain, just having having a bull. But tonight's episode I know is about bikepacking, um, which is quite in contrast with what I usually do, where I usually go as light and fast as possible, where in bikepacking I, I load a hell of a lot of stuff on my bike, um, really heavy, and then just go slow and enjoy Enjoy the views, enjoy the environment around me, enjoy being in places that I don't don't often get get to be. Um, and I think the purpose is basically just that to kind of break away from from what I usually do, the fast pace and there being a deadline or a, a finish line to just being and enjoying and having a bit of freedom and a kind of an open open mind space to process everything that <laughs> that's been going on and will be going on yeah sounds sounds way out <laughs> so, <laughs> so Jan, where did this journey start for you um i mean everyone has a start to to these journeys they go on so so where does yours start um so long ago i fancied myself more more of a cyclist than than a runner, and very very young, my mom did a, a bit of a bike back tour through through Cape Town, like a four or five day, just seeing the sights of Cape Town, and I think that's kind of where the idea was born, and it just somewhere along the line, I just thought that I'd, I'd really want to cycle down to Cape Town in in my lifetime. Um, I've done that and it's just not, <laughs> it hasn't, it hasn't ticked all the boxes. So now I'm just biker packing whenever I, I get the chance. Like where do you draw your inspiration from to one, decide what route you're going to go on, how long it's going to be? Um, you know, is it, uh, is it a cu- accumulation of, uh, of the issues you need to deal with when you go on your bikepacking trips or is it, uh. Is there some science behind uh, deciding how long you're going to go for a bikepacking trip? Um, I think absolutely zero science because it doesn't make sense to <laughs> to do that on a bike if you think about it sensibly. Um, my latest bikepack trip through the Cedarburg, well, firstly up the west coast and then through the Cedarburg, was mostly inspired by having run a bit on a railway service road along the west coast and thinking this would be a really really good place to bike back and then also a hiking trip and a bit of a 
training weekend in the Cedarburg where I looked at those roads and I was like, this would be an amazing place to to just wild pack, wild camp, bike pack and just to take a few slow days and really just enjoy it more more primarily than being in a car with an aircon and a you know like every all your comforts with you like just bikepacking slowly through chatting to the locals stopping at the local shops sleeping under the stars um i, I drew inspiration from from that um well i don't even think inspiration is the right like when i was there in a car all i wanted to do was be there on my bike hmm. And Pierre, that's also like the Cedarburg, uh, that's an area that you're also fairly familiar with. Um, did, you, did you track Jan on his journey um, during those passes and that, th- just, just some background on that. So Jan, you did a thousand kilometers last year or the year before in, in around Cape Town? It was the year before, right? That you... It was... It was December 2021. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's that's last year. And um, that's the Sierraberg trip that he's referring to. Um, but I think that hits quite home for you, Pierre. I wouldn't say I'm that familiar with the Sierraberg. I know I've <laughs> run there once or twice. It's a really, like, oh, it's an amazing area. Um, very special. Like, so let's make our country so beautiful. It's just the diversity of it. But... I have done a adventure race through that area. And the reason, yeah, I did um, kind of tap into Ian's uh, fast packing trip once or twice because I saw that photo of him like just sitting under a, <laughs> a bridge and looking fairly broken. <laughs> but it gave me a bit of like a few flashbacks to myself and Nicolette did an adventure race, <clears throat> the Expedition Africa and Amakwaland. And we had a long bike trek. I think the one leg was about 220 kilometers and then there was another like 70 and a 90 and it was just, it was long hours on, on a bike. And obviously we were racing and a lot of it was through the night and, you know, and sleep deprivation of like, I don't know, like 40 hours and stuff. So I don't think we had the same experience as, uh, as Ian, but <laughs> I can say it was, I really loved that kind of riding. Like just. It was just open space, long, straight roads. And look, we had the odd like hiker bike thrown in, but we went also, we went through Wuppertal, those areas. And uh, when Ian uh, told us about that trip, it really brought back some, some you know, quite nice flashbacks and some like quite sore flashbacks. So there was a few, there'll few, be a few questions I'd like to ask him just about like, you know, how do you look after yourself over, you know, a week of cycling or, you know, because obviously, like what Ian said, there's like zero science in it. But in theory, yes, you're still looking at what setup of bike do you have. You know, how do you look after, you know, from a saddle saw point of view, all those kind of things. I think sometimes we do see it as just natural as endurance athletes because we just know how to manage our bodies or we become so accustomed to managing our bodies that we think it's, I guess, you know, just standard. But I think a lot of people are looking at bikepacking and, in adventure racing, we do often carry like back, like heavier backpacks, and we don't have all the pannier bags and all the fancy tube bags and stuff that is on the market to put on your bike. Um, and yeah, so I'd like to hear from Ian's side: what is the difference between having an eight kilogram bag on your back and having no bag because you could maybe stash it on your bike itself? And just the little intricacies that he's learned over the years, because I know 
He cycled from Joburg to Cape Town as well. So he's obviously learned a few things over the years. So some insight on that would be quite, yeah, quite insightful, I guess. <laughs> um. Okay, no, to be fair, I maybe underplayed the, the science part of it. So my... I, th- I think my biggest bike pack trip was from from Joburg down down to Cape Town, um, but that was at the time I did that already something like seven years in the making um, of doing shorter, more manageable bike pack trips, um, and then being confident enough to embark on a that that specific trip was a two thousand two hundred kilometer because I took the long way around obviously. Um, and one of the big lessons in, in the previous trips was carry as little weight on your body as possible because <laughs> carrying a eight or 12 kg backpack on, on your back does, does cause saddle sores and it makes short days very, very long. Um, and I think the other, the other big thing is Coke is amazing <laughs> to lift your mood on on a bike pack trip so every small town i hit was kind of a two liter coke just gone instantly <laughs> and like on the on the fourth day you just by default buy four liters of coke everywhere you stop <laughs> um <laughs> because two liters just doesn't cut it um and then just quality of food i think having real real food along the way has always just brightened up my my day um trekking up the west coast every single place i could i was just cramming calamarian chips into my face <laughs> as often as i possibly can and beer every single night was <laughs> two three beers and that i just think lifts the mood um there's just there's a there's an old saying and i think the adventure races will will agree with with this there's nothing as good as an ice-cold beer directly after ice-cold beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess in that valley, it's only going to be cold for so long, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be, well, there's nothing better than a hot beer after your cold beer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even drink beer, but that doesn't sound nice. <laughs> hot beer. Um yeah, so so Ian, I'm I'm guessing that you know when you go on these bike packing trips, you you're diverging quite far from your athlete, um, coach, running, nutrition side of things. That you're just eating good whole foods, proper foods, drinking water, coke, um, and that your engineered sports products are staying at home for when you get back and you resume running. Um. It's a complete different ball game, I think. Bikepacking, I I approach it. I, I, it's a hell of a lot of work to turn off the athlete in me that just chases a finish line. Um, so on on the bikepacking trips, um, like an average heart rate on a day, I I ignore it. I actually look at look at it two three weeks after after the bikepack trip. But like average heart rate on a day would be one twelve one twenty ish, which is you don't need expensive engineered sports project products for that. Um, I remember quite distinctly um, when I cycled from Nivotsville to Kalfinia, I had a horrible day. It was 
I think 45, 50k long day. Um, I did a wild camp next to the road the night before, ran out of water, um, didn't really have much food, and the last 10k's into Calfinia was basically just survival. Um, and my priorities getting into Calfinia was sugar, caffeine, some more sugar. And then I went to Diblo Narki, which is the <laughs> the greatest restaurant in Colfina. And I was like, listen, I'm also the only forehead one. of <laughs> pretty pretty much. Um so I was like, okay, so the last two days I was way under budget and I'm catching up today. So I think I I had a four hundred Rand bill that night. Starters, mains, dessert more dessert, beer. I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to eat until I cannot eat anything more. Um, and I felt better the next day. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know if it was mental or well, good nutrition, I I think as well. Um, but I, I think you guys also find with your mountain missions, you, you also do stray away from just pure sports nutrition to going to actual better whole food which i think mentally puts you in a better space but do you think like something like a long bike packing trip and pierre you'll probably join me on this philosophical conversation but do you think something like that teaches you a bit about your body and how it consumes energy and really listening to the needs of your body in that moment because i i mean like you do go through i haven't done a long bike packing trip so i'm probably out of my debt the, but uh you know i would uh, i would assume that you'd be drawing on different things you know you've said the base is your coke but then again like i'm sure you <laughs> i'm sure at some point you crave salt and all the other minerals and you know vitamin b when you have your beer and um, maybe some carbs as well um so and some proteins as well like do you think and Nicolette, that's actually an open discussion for you as well do you do you guys think having now obviously the scientific background to to nutrition and you know do you think there's some value in learning something while you're doing a long distance bike packing on how your body consumes fuel and you know listening to your body yeah from our side definitely i mean with our fast packing trips or even when we guide groups of people on hikes or runs it's quite obvious that you know if you're not pushing to your personal maximum limit you you definitely don't need as much in the way of calories um as you would if you were you know really pushing your own intensity so i I suspect it's the same with bikepacking like ian said you know a heart rate of 112 is well for a good athlete it's it's quite you know it's like normal um you don't need that much more than what you would eat on a normal day so yeah you might have bigger meals and more snacks but you you're not having to consume you know 60 grams of carbohydrates per hour um so i yeah i do think that you know doing these long trips it definitely shows you the difference between you know your slow long endurance events and your fast high intensity events and it proves that you, you know, you need a very different amount of carbohydrates or calories, and therefore you need quite a different approach to your nutrition as well. Yeah, I must say, 
to like my my two cents from the from the side. If I have to also think of long mountain stuff, like this weekend now, we, I just did a like a like a twenty six hour thing in the Drakensberg where, you know, we were going at a relatively slow pace but just very consistent, and I actually like just wrapped four slices of pizza from the night before into a little like Ziploc and chucked it in my pack because on these like when you are doing longer more normal kind of stuff i guess it's nice to eat normal more normal food so i guess yeah, and on your backpacking stuff it's like you don't actually want that racing element to it you just want kind of normality so well eat normal food and you know i guess pizza is that for me um quite specifically and peter was was there when we did our 13 peaks challenge my biggest fear was not the distance, my biggest fear for our group was sense of humor failing because of not not having enough nutrition. So every single time we stopped, I was handing out salami and cheese zombies to everyone. Um, I think Peter, Peter still remembers that quite fondly. Ian was selling it. That was part of his pension scheme. He tricks you. He goes on long runs <laughs> with you and then he starts selling his nutrition at the back end when you really need it. <laughs> How much did we pay? 50 rand a broiki. <laughs> I mean, Jan, like, you know, we're talking about food, but maybe a good question is, you know, where do you actually pack all your food? Um, I mean, we've, we've chatted about the panniers and the bags and the bag on the back, but there's a, there's a lot of cool things out there, uh, gadgets, I would say, where you can shop a little bag for your food on your handlebar and I'm sure they've integrated frames where you can put in some marsh bars or bar ones like I mean <laughs> there, there's a lot of tech going into this bike packing at the moment uh, for those of you who don't know there's like this website www.bikepacking.com which is it's straightforward but there's like loads of information on routes and gear there but what's your what's your top three go-to pieces yeah Pierre well Sorry, just before Ian goes in there, like, Peter, you, you've got a very high-tech question there. But before that, I would love Ian to, um, those who haven't seen his bike on, you know, Instagram and stuff, <laughs> Ian, first give us a background on your bike, because apparently it's been held together by all the stickers you've collected since you were eight years old. <laughs> Maybe you can put uh, put your food into those cracks in the frame. <laughs> um, okay, so the bike I bike back with, um, it's called Frankenbike because it's basically built from parts of probably about three different, four different bikes that I've owned over over time. But it's a small framed 26er with the longest seat post you'll ever see. Um, and then my pannier bags are very old school. So all the weight is on the back wheel which I do not recommend at all. Um, it makes the handling horrible um, and makes downhill, like the mountain pass going down into Wuppertal, a nightmare. Um, but that's all I have at the moment. And if you, I, I just have the, the philosophy, if you wait for everything to be perfect, you'll never get anything done. So just go do it regardless of not having the perfect gear. Make it work. But... Also build the experience, learn from the mistakes, and I am I'm having a really cool frame bag, specially made for my bike, and I 
cannot wait <laughs> to to put that picture up on Instagram. It's mm. going to be really epic. Just one question. Can you still get new tires for 26-inch <laughs> mountain bike? <laughs> um, so far, I haven't struggled. Um, in the beginning, they were really cheap because all the bike shops were trying to get, get rid of them. Now they've gotten really expensive because I think the I'm on the wrong side of the um, demand, the supply and demand of, of that at the moment. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but I, I think that's really cool. And that's actually, you know, exactly what we said in our fast packing podcast um, last time is it doesn't matter if you have hiking boots or running shoes or a 20 liter pack or a 35 liter pack just take what you have and go out there and experience it because you don't know what you need um until you've actually you know given it a bash and enjoyed the experience and then from there on you can start to make small adaptations but don't let your gear be your limiting factor so that's really cool but adding to that there is some some very interesting gear out there and i would really like to know ian your top three must pack gear that you take on your bike packing chips. It's okay. You can start with um, the ground mock-up part. It's okay. We accept that. <laughs> um. So non-essential gear, definitely my my mock-up part. Uh, <laughs> it once again keeps this keeps keeps the spirits high. Um. My my puffy, my goose down puffy. For the cold days, but then also it folds into its own little inside pocket and becomes becomes a pillow. Um, so dual purpose. And geez, I've got a really really cool, really lightweight tent which has I've gone bike packing without it, um, but just having it there just adds to the comfort and the experience so so much. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of my top three. And obviously food, um, drinks, and a gas stove just to <laughs> to prepare food would is is also a, a definite must have. Um, yeah, that's and chamois cream. Jeez, how can I forget that? <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm gonna go off topic here a little bit. Um, so with my bike pack trip down to Cape Town. I would stop over at farms and go, Hi, can I please pitch my tent on your lawn? Knowing full well, I don't have a tent with me. <laughs> but then, without fail, every single time they go, No, you can't. You have to come sleep in the spare room. <laughs> Goes back to the... <laughs> um, yeah, now all the listeners, so, believe me when I say he's, he sold brookies to us on uh, the 13th chapter. <laughs> Um, (laughs) um, I I, I do think I I think there's really no no essentials nothing that you have to take along Um, some spares maybe repair stuff but that being said in all my bikepacking kilometers which I think racks up to about 6 or 7 thousand k's of bikepacking I've never had to repair a tire I've never had a flat um, I've never had, I, I've, I've had zero technical issues on all my bikepacking trips. I've broken a spoke. I've broken one spoke in all, all of that. Um, 
But also then I take my bike for a proper overall service before every single long trip. But yeah, you're not one of those. A... No, go for it, Pierre. No, and from a, um, it's obviously you're backpacking by yourself, and you know if you do say have to come off, do you have any like basic first aid stuff? Do you have any protocols, I guess, that you do put in place? Do you use a tracker? Do you just even if you don't use a tracker, do you do like uh, say, okay, cool, I'm between this and this spot, just if something does happen? Because um, that's just a method I've been incorporating into the mountains in the beginning as well. I also kind of I never wanted people to know where I move, but then just purely from being involved with a lot of stuff, I now try to like drop more breadcrumbs. Just if a search happens, it doesn't happen between, you know, Joburg and Cape Town, but it happens between like, I don't know, <laughs> Ladysmith and Three Sisters. <laughs> you know, like it's just to narrow that out. Is it like some basic advice that I guess you could, even if you don't incorporate it into your bikepacking, but that you think could be just good for someone that does go out there and they may be not as experienced as you? Um, so before my big Cape Town trip, I spoke to a friend of mine who did a bike pack to Sokopmunt and he said one of the, the most helpful things that he did is he started a WhatsApp group, which as he went along, gained momentum and as, as it went along, everyone is like, no, I know somebody who's close to there. Um, check in with them and they might be able to offer you a place to sleep and a meal. Um, and after all the farm sleepovers, um, once I hit the coast, because I was bikepacking in December, every single night I slept with somebody that was on holiday along the coast that I knew. Um, so sleeping on a proper bed, having a nice warm shower under a, a duvet, also just really recharges, recharges you before before the next day. So I think a safety aspect, definitely having like a cool support group that know what you're up to, where you're going, um, where you are. Um, and I think also lifts the spirits. Uh, with my last trip, I didn't post on the WhatsApp group because I, I did need a bit of time in my own head. Um, had a few decisions to make, had a few things to work through. Um, and I didn't want that distraction with that. So everyone that I wanted to speak to, I did speak to, and <laughs> no one else really. <laughs> it's cool because exactly to that, like when we do go into the mountains, I limit the field of people that actually know what we do to a very specific amount of people because, yes, we go out there to you know, clear our minds. We go out there to, you know, for very various reasons. Um, and, yeah, like... It's nice to be able to make of it what you want to. And it's nice that you do these trips kind of deciding, you know, what do I need from this currently? And um, you can just have that. It's that freedom. And that's and that's beautiful. It's so cool to <laughs> talk to people that enjoy that freedom and to, you know, plan something. And I guess you realize what you need as a person. And you come back and you probably found so much more than you thought you were going to get out of it. Um, so on that note, I kind of want to ask you, um, is there anything that you are planning for the future? Like apart from, you're not going to delve into your like intense, like racing ambitions and your sub seven comrades for next year and that kind of stuff. But, um, on the bikepacking front, if you have to go from a more, you know, 
imagine Into the Wild documentary was going to make a been made about you. No, I'm just joking. But um, yeah, from a, a cool trip that you've envisioned, what would be your penultimate trip? Um, well, you brought up the Into the Wild topic. It's it was on my playlist for my December bikepack trip, on repeat, just over and over and over again. Um, but no, definitely Veda is pretty cool though. <laughs> yeah, no, it's such an awesome, such an awesome um, uh, soundtrack that. But no, so I've actually sat down at some stage in the last 12 months and I realized that I, I have to, I don't really have much of a choice in this. I've, I've got to do Cape to Cairo. <laughs> and I, I did put, I, I put a deadline, I said, before I turn 40. Um, so that leaves me with six years to to kind of process what needs to happen and, and needs to fall in place for that. And in what fashion would you like to do that? Like, uh, do you have a time-specific goal? Is it a kind of into-the-wild kind of objective, a personal growth experience, I guess, if you want to go like complete hippie on it? But because that's naturally what I kind of tend to, but then also the competitive side and all of us are always going like, okay, but how fast can I do it? Or, you know, what intricacies can I work into the trip to make this trip more special mm -hmm. than anyone else that has done a Cape to Cairo? Um, I'm definitely not going to aim for any records because then you just follow a highway and you, yeah, you empty yourself. Um, and I, I think, I actually want a more fulfilling journey than than that. So I, I, I want to be in a position to be able to take the long way around. So I'd, I'd, in, in my mind already, I've got pictured going up through ice, through Namibia, cutting through Botswana, um, going via Lake Malawi, through Tanzania, and actually stopping, I, I want to spend some some time in the Rift Valley. And obviously then, I don't know, have some running kit couriered up to me, spend a month or two just running with those guys and seeing what, what that's all about. Because um, obviously I, I don't stop being a runner. Um, and then maybe just carrying on from there and see where, what looks interesting. But then having the freedom, and that's why I said before I'm 40, because I'm not going to just jump into it to, to get it done. I want to I wanna be in a position where I can, I can experience it and just take six months, maybe take a year, maybe, I don't know, just, <laughs> just see our continent, just see what is out there. Because I, I think we've got such an amazing continent. We, well, we've got such an amazing country. I've seen so much of it on a bike. And I think going from desert to tropics to the Great Lakes to the mountains of the Rift Valley, Kilimanjaro, all of that. Um, I just, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to be a two-hour-long podcast. <laughs> uh, but that's a good question for yourself, uh, Pierre Nicoletta. I mean... I have no doubt you have your own ambitions on this front, like anything adventure driven, long distance, I think is up your alley. So uh, is there any any adventures that you guys are planning after listening to Jan or maybe before listening to Jan? 
Um, at the moment, I'll uh, yeah, south sites are set mostly on the Drakensberg, so not too far from home. Uh, we still have a couple of routes that we need to complete there in a yeah, timiest fashion. We do have time goals, <laughs> <laughs> unlike Ian. We've spent a lot of time in the Drakensberg, and we know it really well. So I suppose just you know, just exploring is no longer um, our primary goal there. Um, but yeah, look, there's there's a lot of mountain ranges in Africa. Um, Pierre will probably know better than me the specifics. I think up in Ethiopia, there's something that he's quite keen on. But for now, we we still achieving that with what we can closer to home. So yeah, Drakensberg it is. <laughs> um, to tie into that, like I'm going to keep it topic specific on bikepacking. Like I think Lesotho is just an amazing country to go cycle. Their roads are much quieter than ours. In good condition, there's some pretty wild dirt roads and jeep tracks. So I think that is a country I would love to just explore from a backpacking point of view. And um, yeah, also then to go up in Africa and cycle around because I do think you lose an element when you're in a car. You know, when you're in a car, you're quite isolated from everything else, the world around you. If you're on a bike or running, I think it's you're much more open to the kindness of other people. I think they associate with you more. But if you're just going through there in your bucky, I think you've distanced yourself quite a bit. So the way Ian wants to do it, I think, is, is really beautiful. Um, I think he will be able to live the cultures out there a bit more, you know, to be seen more as a, as a human, as not just someone behind a, you know, window that's got an aircon on the inside. So, you know, I, th I think that's incredible. Like, I thought before about, like, I really want to climb Mount Kenya. Um, and I thought about, like, to send, you know, gear up via courier and then you kind of get on your bike and you ride up. And I think just to get there, I think you'll be accepted so much more as well. So if you want to go run in Kenya or the Rift Valley, you know, and you get there self-powered on your bike, I think you'll just be accepted into the community where if you just, I guess, fly up, you know, get in a rental car and drive there, you just, you know, you're just another tourist. So I think to experience the country and the world in a, you know, self-powered fashion or self-propelled fashion is just, it's really powerful. But um, anyway, let's go, let's go a bit north, Peter, um, then mm -hmm. Ireland, because I know you cycle a lot. I watch you on Strava. <laughs> uh, what are you building up to? You know, because I know you love your gear. You, you want the, you want all the nice <laughs> stuff to, to put on that bike and everything. So, but that's, it's, it's, mm. it's amazing. It's incredible. Like, you know, how we all are individuals and what drives us as humans and like what insp inspires us. And I always love listening to your stories because you always have, you know, you've, yeah, you're that typical person that says yes to everything. And I wish sometimes I had more ideas like you. So um, <laughs> brief us a bit on what you've got in the pipeline. Are you saying, Pierre, that my uh, my gear is driving my, my ambitions? <laughs> well, the amount of chats we've had over gear. <laughs> we, now we need to see the adventures. Yeah, so... Um, so yeah, I've been looking at something, it's called the Islands 550, so it's like 550 miles, so it's roughly around 800 kilometers, it's up in Scotland. Uh, so I visited Scotland probably a month ago just to um, run around there a bit, and I think it's such a nice country to go and bikepacking. And to be, to be honest, as I miss like the weather conditions and the dusty roads, I do really miss it, but... 
I've also gotten used to the cold and wet weather and it's become a bit of an addiction to some extent. So every time I read a, a trail and it says something like boggy or very technical sections, I can just see it, you know, like I can just see the fun that you can have on those trails. And uh, so, yeah, that's going to be my next ambition. I would have I would have attempted it not too far in the future, but my plans changed a bit. Um, but uh you know, I got the gear now, <laughs> so, so I'll figure something out to go and try it out, and uh, I look forward to it, and um, yeah, so I think that, that in the short short term is, is what I'm going for, um, but I'm definitely sticking on the mountain bike, I'm not, uh, I like that, it makes me happy. Cool, and on that <laughs> note, um, Ian, do you, are you looking at a, at a gravel bike, it's, I guess you're not, because you're having custom made uh panniers and uh, uh frame bags for your for your franken bike but is a like a slick kind of gravel bike in the in the pipeline for you um so i was taken off my bike by a car in the beginning of 2017 um and since then i've sold all my bikes except franken bike so i've to a certain extent lost a hell of a lot of my love for cycling but just Frankenbike just gives so much more than any other <laughs> bike I've, I've ever had. Um, and <laughs> just the nostalgia, I, I can't sell that bike. It's the cheapest bike I own because it's just built out of parts I found li- lying around or could, could source really cheaply. Um, but no, no, so probably not looking at, at a gravel bike anytime soon. Uh, I look at them in magazines like often or on the internet and they are really lovely but just like i can't justify the money for something i'll use not so often yeah so i have i have a question but i don't know from listening to your whole you know bike setup and the old bike and the nostalgia and the kind of holiday bike packing trips i would expect your answer to be no but is cycling something you incorporate into your training on a weekly basis to kind of keep your cycling abilities, you know, not not like top notch, but just to keep those cycling muscles activated? Um, just from a, an athlete point of view, you know, how much bike or cycling cross training do you think is necessary for someone who maybe has a, a bike packing um, ambition in the future? Um, so with my Cape Town, Joburg to Cape Town trip, I did absolutely zero <laughs> cycling training, but I just started out really conservatively. The first four days, just really, really far below capacity and somehow just got fitter as the, as the days went past. And by the end of the, the tour, I was like really just confident and strong. And I remember going into Gordon's Bay, a guy on a road bike came past me and I was like, morning, and he didn't greet me back. So I was like, okay. And I got into his slip and I sat there all the way, I think like 15 k's into Gordon's Bay. And as he turned off, I yelled, okay, cheers, have a good day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I just think it doesn't take all that much just to be a little bit friendly. But yeah, I was, by the end of that, I was very cycling specific strong. But I think off a really good running base because that year I did run my marathon PB. I did a long like 50k trail race. 
So the the engine was there, but off topic, well, on topic, off topic, I do think incorporating cycling into run training is excellent. Um, it's not something I do as often as I, I should or want to, but just kind of taking time, getting time on the legs, but taking that impact off the legs is, is excellent cross training. Yeah, that's, that's kind of, um, my opinion as well. Like it, it's great if you do have the time, um, and you're in a base training phase, but you can incorporate some cycling into your weekly training. And then when it becomes really the crux of your running, um, if assuming you have a, a running race, then you need to focus on that. But for as long as you can, just keeping those cycling muscles kind of ticking over. And then, yeah, the classic answer, I suppose, to any really like long multi-day event is that you tend to get stronger as you go along. But it's really mm. nice to hear it firsthand. <laughs> okay, that's a... Uh... Yeah, it's really, I think we've gone a pretty, like a full circle. It's always nice to yeah, just chat to fellow athletes, share stories, um, and hopefully some of the listeners can get some good insight from this. And um, I think most people that uh, do listen to the podcast know, kind of know us. So please send us messages with regards to any questions or, you know, topics you want to discuss in the future, because um, this is really a, what we want to grow is like as much as we get value from talking to different people and to each other. Um, so we want to provide value to everyone that listens to this podcast. So I think we've kind of run out of time. I know Peter has to go look, go watch at the, the band film festival. So I'm pretty <laughs> jealous because that's always a, a very, a very, very fun evening. Uh, we'll get the brief from him next time, but, um, yeah, and thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, if there's anything like last words you want to leave the listeners, um, yeah, please, please, uh, I guess, sign off for us. Um, no, look, <laughs> I'm generally quite quite an introverted person until you talk to me about bikepacking or the latest running, trail running shoes. Then then you've signed yourself up for like a two, three hour conversation. So <laughs> you guys, you guys picked the right topic. Um, and then to the listeners, if you have any questions, please engage. Uh, <laughs> like I said, it, it's a chat I love having. So send me, well, messages, Instagram, Facebook, Strava, what, whatever. Just email me, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Um, no, so it's, it's something I love speaking about. If you want to share, share your experience or a route that you've done or an idea that you have that you want to somebody to partner on with you, please, please talk to me. And guys, thanks, thanks for having me. Um, and gegrond, geez, thanks for... Thank you for the coffee. Like in the Abba song, thank you for the music, but just replace music with coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Jan. It was uh, really nice catching up with you again and Pierre uh, for you and Mountain Abandon. Like, it's always nice to hear. It's, it's been, it feels like it's been a while since we've had a good chat up. Oh, chat, chat up. Love <laughs> you had a good chat. But uh, yeah, it was really nice uh, catching up with everyone today. Cheers, guys. Keep well. Thanks so much. Until next time, eh? Bye. Cheers, cheers.